peace. Y'all doing all right? Great. I love the dialogue. I am uh, <laughs> expressly grateful and humbled um, by the opportunity to open God's word with you. But let me ask you, though, from the very beginning, just to turn to your neighbor and tell him we're going to preach today. We're going to preach today. Now, you got to remember the brothers preaching. I, I say that all the time. So we got to put this in a little bit of context. Um, but today is Father's Day. Uh, I'm thankful uh, for the day. Um, one of the really great joys of my life is this privilege of fatherhood. The reality is, though, that for the black community, Father's Day just sheds light on a really great disparity. In the article, Fatherhood in Contemporary Black America, an invisible presence, authors Michael Connor and Joseph White describe black fatherhood like this. They say, historically, black fathers have, have been either invisible in the study of child development and family life or characterized in negative terms, such as deadbeat dads and absent fathers who are financially irresponsible and rarely involved in their children's lives. According to demographic data, most African-American children growing up in contemporary society do not live in the same household as their biological fathers or reside with them only periodically. Approximately 64% of African-American children are growing up in one-parent households. One half of black families are headed by single mothers, while households without the biological or legal fathers present is a growing concern in all ethnic groups. In America, the situation is particularly acute in the African-American community. I say this because there is unique importance in fatherhood that is manifest in a myriad of ways throughout both African-American and American history and culture. The biblical context, though, for this moment is fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The apostle writes in Ephesians 6 and 4, I take this time to mention this because um, those who know my story would find it interesting and peculiar that I talked to my father for the first time in years this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we're so grateful for, for this Father's Day. <clears throat> And we recognize um, the joy that comes for many, but also the agony that comes for some. And we thank you, God, for being just a true and better father to us, for loving and caring for us in ways that we didn't even think possible. Now, Lord, as we turn to your word, we ask, Lord, that you would um, just fill us with your spirit. To open in our hearts and our minds to receive your word. 
And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The book of James was written to Jewish Christians. It was written around 49 AD, which places it around the same time as the Jerusalem Council, uh, which we see in Acts 15. Uh, Early church tradition, though, credits uh, the the book to James, the brother of Jesus, who was prominent in the New Testament church. He grew up with Jesus. He was converted at Jesus's resurrection and he immediately began associating with the apostles and served as a pastor of the church in Jerusalem. James writes, though, with this theme of living out our faith to be a doer and not simply a hearer of God's word. And this this emerges in light of conflict between the rich and the poor. He's going through this process of rebuking worldliness and challenges us to live in right standing with God. So then James writes, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I'm not sure about you, but as I read this text this week, my immediately confronted response was that I needed to repent. James says that we are to be quick to hear, yet culturally this is not how life works for us. We, we have to immediately tell someone else exactly how we feel. Christians, Christians though, we're the most vocal with this. Even as we, we watch the news this week, we see Christians once again in the news debating the use of, of Romans 13 by the Trump administration to justify practices for immigration policy. This, let me remind you, is ironically the same text used by Christian slaveholders to justify slavery. It is also the text that was used frequently by legislators to justify Jim Crow laws. Instead, we're quick to speak and slow to hear. I love how the commentary, though, the commentary describes this text. It says, James echoes Jewish wisdom tradition on the misuse of the tongue and the anger that can result. Galatians 5, and 23 reads this. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it says, against such things, there is no law. Yet what should be the ID card of the believer is far from what the world will say of us. Notice, though, not only are we called to be quick to listen and slow to speak, but also slow to anger. Our, our lack of listening combined with not restraining what we say leads us directly to anger and far from the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that we've been called to display to the world. Verse 20 then tells us, why this is important. Look at what James says. He says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
People of God, can I just say that you can be angry, but your anger will never change the human heart. This is what I refer to as that Westboro Baptist type Christianity. We, we all know people who are known in their Christian practice for what they hate and what they're against rather than what we are called to love. James says that this then does not produce the righteousness of God. Turn over, if you will, with me just a couple books to 2 Corinthians 5.21. I want you to see something in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The Scripture says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you don't have it already, make sure you highlight or underline this scripture because 2 Corinthians 5.21 is by far the clearest understanding of both the atonement and justification. Jesus, the one who knew no sin, was made to be sin. Jesus bore our sin on the cross and though he was himself completely sinless. Know, though, that it was for our sake. Jesus was our substitute. This is what we mean by the atonement, that our sins were born by Jesus. Jesus then bore the wrath of God, which is to take upon himself the punishment that you and I deserve. He endured for us. Look at the second part of the text, though. It says that Jesus did this. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says, he says, who would become the righteousness of God? He says, we. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's saying we we, we're the very righteousness of God. People of God know that that Jesus' substitutionary atoning work on the cross means that God and his grace at the cross imputed on Jesus our sin and our guilt and imputed on us his righteousness. A righteousness that is not our own, but free and available to all who believe in him. James 1.21 says then, that we are therefore to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. To put away filthiness and rampant wickedness is to rid ourselves of sin. It is to continually seek repentance and turning to God to rest in the finished work of Christ, knowing that in Jesus Sin itself has been conquered. He has given us his word, his word that we have implanted on our hearts to to be rooted in every aspect of our being. Note, though, that what, what he says about the implanted word, he says that the word is able to save your soul. This is what we call progressive sanctification. It's this work of the spirit continually shaping and molding you day after day in regeneration in the likeness of Jesus. Verses 22 through 25, though, is this call to be doers of the word of God. See, 
To hear the word and not do the word is simple self-deception. Yet to hear the word of God and to do it is to, is to live in the abundant blessings of God. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone is a hearer of the word, is not a doer. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The only appropriate response to the hearing of the word of God is like the folks at Nike would say, just do it. God's word must be implanted in our lives to to sprout, to grow, to bear fruit. To simply take a seed and plant it in soil is not the goal, but rather to see from that seed it grow and bear good fruit. In the same way should we receive the word of God that it might be obeyed and that we are not simply deceiving ourselves, living in our own self-righteousness. Uh, The unanimous favorite movie in our home is Black Panther. We've had to have set the record for seeing that movie, I'm sure, at this point. If you hadn't seen it, I will say this to you, uh, that the writers do a brilliant job of combining the reality of the plight of being African-American in our society with this fictional reality of having those answers and resources to solve these issues. So one of the antagonists of the movie is this guy named Claw, and he manages to be caught by the Black Panther and the CIA agent. And they sit him in this interrogation room, and he's alone. And Claw is looking into the mirror. And if you've seen the movie, you know that he's, he's blowing kisses at himself. He's singing songs, telling himself he loves him. It's absolutely ridiculous. James has given us this ridiculous message of a mirror as well. He says, how foolish is it that that we would see ourselves in the mirror and forget what it is we look like? Mirrors are are the place of self-reflection. We use mirrors to check ourselves for imperfections, to be sure that our tie is straightened or that our hair is combed. The mirror then reveals our flaws. Yet James is saying that the one who hears the word of God and does not do it is to see themselves in the mirror, recognizing their sin and walks away doing nothing. The reality of this passage of scripture is that this, this happens so much more than we'd willingly like to admit. Week after week in churches, many of us hear the word of God preached and the grace afforded to us on the cross is made known. Yet we walk out the doors of the church unchanged. Or better yet, we, we've seen ourselves in the mirror. We forget what we look like. 
We sing songs and pray, but those things that should bring about spirit-led conviction. The message that, that should have spurred us for spirit-empowered change is lost. Jesus taught the same thing in Luke eleven twenty seven through verse 28. He says, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But look at what Jesus says. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Notice though, for those who keep the word, there is reward. James says that those who by the word live in the law of liberty, which is to be one who hears the word and lives obediently according to the word, will be blessed. I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed by God. Look with me, if you will, then at verses 26 and 27. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. People of God, to call yourself a Christian and to not know how to keep your mouth in check, James says it's worthless. Boy, I wish Christians knew this. To call ourselves Christians and yet being so quick to talk about others is only deceiving ourselves. Look, though, at what James says real Christianity is. He gives us a real simple answer. He says in this real Christianity is to work on behalf of the oppressed and the marginalized. And in this we are unstained by the world. We've, we've heard the word from James, but, but how will we receive it? Will we acknowledge it? Will we reflect on it? Will we examine ourselves or will we submit to it and respond by practical application? As I studied this week, I, I realized just how deeply afflicted I am. I, I am. I am way too often the one who walks away from the mirror and forgets. So today, rather than closing traditionally, I just want to close in lament. And hopefully you'll join me as a church. I'll, I'm going to pray, but... Anyone else who, who wants to join in, I, I want to give you time to do this. Father God, I'm, I'm 
I'm the one who, who walks away from the mirror and forgets way too often. I'm the one who, who is so quick to speak and not willing to hear. I'm so, so ready to, to reject others' thoughts and opinions and ideas. I haven't been forgiving for those who, who've really tried to, to show this practice of reconciliation with me. Reconciliation requires both repentance, but it also requires forgiveness. And Lord, I fail to forgive over and over again. I've, I've held grudges against people because of histories of things that of injustice. Lord, I need you to change my heart. Lord, I ask that you would, would continue to do a good work in me, that you would, would shape and mold me to be more and more in the likeness of your Son, Jesus.